liquefied villain. Hello and welcome everyone to Cyberdelia. This is David. This is Mo. And this this uh, episode's a little groundbreaking for us. This is the first one we're doing remotely. Uh, over the internet. Yep. So uh, today we'll talk a little about remote work. And I, actually, I think to start, let, let's talk about uh, the new website. Because I'm not sure if uh, our listeners have been paying attention, but the website just got updated and looks really nice. Yes, the part that I'm most proud of is that it serves zero cookies. It's a cookie-free <laughs> website. Oh, man. It makes it so much easier. You don't have to have all those pop-ups that say, like, by the way, there's cookies. And Do you accept? <laughs> I love how those, like, accept uh, cancel boxes. I never click accept, and if I can, I will always hit the little X in the top right, and I have no idea what that means. Did I accept or did I acknowledge? I get to keep using the site, but... Oh, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, there's also no Google Analytics or really any analytics right now. Um, yep, no. no fonts loaded from Google, nothing else. It's pretty plain Jane at the moment. I was hoping to lay some Easter eggs. Uh, so for those people who want to curl the site, uh, but uh, that hasn't <laughs> hasn't dropped yet. Oh, are we, are we going to do the humans.txt part <laughs> of the site? <laughs> uh, that's a great idea. I was thinking more like cow say at random pages, but humans.txt. <laughs> Humans.txt, let's give that a go. I did drop a security.txt, I believe I did. Maybe I didn't. We'll have to double check that. We, we got to get all the, uh, what's it, the micro metadata that... Uh... <laughs> yes, the, the OAuth <laughs> metadata endpoints. We'll just drop all the metadata endpoints that the people in the know will know. If it can be served over port 443, we're going to try it. <laughs> <laughs> David, I didn't check our cipher suites. Are they going <laughs> to grill us on what, what cipher suites we allow? <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, so uh, you used Hugo in this, right? Uh, yes, we used Hugo. I hadn't actually used it before. I think you kind of kicked us off, and then um, once you had the site sort of up and running, I just went in and started playing with it after tweaking a few things like, oh, okay, this is pretty good. I love how snappy it is. It's got the live reload built right right in. Mm -hmm. Oh, the live reload. Uh, that was massive when I was moved. Because uh, I actually put all my blogs on uh, Hugo. Mostly because I've gotten to the stage in my life where the less I have to do to get something on the web, the happier I am. <laughs> I, I don't like fiddling with right. like 500 Python dependencies anymore. I'd rather it just work. Especially for something where you're producing, the content is like the thoughts in your brain. You just want to get those thoughts out of your brain and onto uh, onto disk as quickly as possible without having to fiddle too much. Um, I'm still fiddling, though. I, I admit I'm still on Jekyll. And each time I go write a post, I'm like, oh, I should go update my gem files. <laughs> I should go update this. And I get distracted. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I first started off uh, blogging, I, I was just using uh, WordPress. And I found I was spending, you know, like 15, 20 minutes a month just keeping that thing alive. I, I mean, WordPress has gotten a lot better, but what I ended up doing was from there, it was into uh, Pelican, which was the Python static site generator. Is that and the restructured RST files? Yeah, uh, restructured, restructured text. text. Yes. And, um, and then 
I, I can't remember if there was an intermediary, but I switched to Hugo uh, just based off of, uh, so one Calgary luminary, Michael Jones, I saw he was using Hugo and I, when I saw a fastest sat static site generator, well, I was pretty much sold. Um, and I've pretty much been using it for any static sites I've needed since. I found it really useful. It's really fast. I, re I remember like pulling down the source after we set up the demo site or like the initial version of the site and I curled it. And the first thing, because I wanted to see how the, the market was laid out. I want to see like <laughs> proper tabbing and spaces. Um, and it was all just one long line. I was like, oh, wow, it even minimizes the HTML markup because it cares. It cares mm -hmm. about saving those bytes. Yeah, it, it's so funny to see that everything Hugo does out of the box was stuff that I had maintained like, I want to say like five to 10 uh, Pelican plugins to do. And so just having that always working with every new version. And um, I don't think they've reached 1.0 yet, but honestly, I haven't really seen a whole lot of breakage in how they do stuff. It generally just works if you uh, use it for what it's designed for. I did find myself, uh, I there was one project where I thought I could leverage uh, Hugo for something else. Um, so just to be clear, this is really for blogs and for simple things. Uh, if you need a static site generator that can do a little more, you might do well looking at something else like Middleman. Oh yes, Middleman. I remember using that. Is that, uh, it's like an NPM package? Um, it's a Ruby one. Is it Ruby? Oh, okay. Yeah. They've kind of been uh, going the route of pulling out a lot of built-in functionality, which I don't always agree with, um, especially when it's breaking downstream stuff. Like, you, you kind of have to be careful about your approach. But the idea of, you know, you're not just writing all this stuff yourself, it, that's really nice. Uh, so I, I had this site... Uh, many many years ago called calgary hub of all things and uh the, the idea was it was going to be sort of a go-to site to find out what was going on in calgary and um you know the site never really took off but i i really understood the power of being of, of using static site generators yeah. with just a handful of cgi bin scripts like so much on the internet has to use really complex frameworks but really you be surprised what you can get away with um oh it's amazing you know you, you have a cron job just rebuilding the site every five minutes or something and yeah it just works great and a lot of sites are you know you don't really need a dynamic language for just piping an email <laughs> you know for the oh, most part yeah. that's the only dynamic content on the site is a contact form and there's options there that uh, don't require uh a back end i want to tell you my blogging story actually because as you were talking about that it reminded me in uh 2004 i was still writing c and there was this thing called the web and all these people at my office were doing net and c sharp and having fun on this thing called web forms i was like oh i gotta learn this thing web's so cool everybody's on it i'm gonna i'm gonna put my my thoughts out there so my first like c sharp project <laughs> was this single aspx page that all it would do was uh, it would recurse through a directory of text files and it would then render HTML from those text files. So every day at 7.30 a.m. from my desk at the office, I would RDP home, <laughs> port 3389, I still remember, RDP home uh, and write a, a new like blog post in a text file that got saved to the special directory and then my website would get updated 
which I was serving from my desk at home. Oh, that was so much fun. And then from there, I realized I needed to do something else. I couldn't host from my desk anymore because this just wasn't working. My my computer wasn't uh, able to keep up with uh, all the user agents that were hidden in all the different bots. And from there, I moved to, I think it was MSN Spaces. Um, if you don't remember, it's okay. No, I'm, I'm getting all sorts of memories. Tell <laughs> <laughs> people what MSN Spaces are because, uh, you know, some people weren't born in the last, yeah. I don't know how to describe it, but before, before like the current communication tools, there was ICQ and MSN. And <laughs> I think that was the ICQ uh, <laughs> logo. I, do you still remember your ICQ number? <laughs> yes, uh, I want to say it was 7193858. That sounds right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I still remember, okay, I was in GeoCities. I was in Area 51. <laughs> oh, uh, I, I had. We're going way back, folks. <laughs> Oh, I hope this is not in the Wayback Machine, but if you look up Pizza Pop's Home on the Web uh, in Area 51, <laughs> that was that's where I lived. And then, okay, so from um, MSN Spaces was, I didn't actually tell you what it was. I don't know how to describe it, but there was MSN Messenger, which was like a pretty popular communication tool after ICQ. MSN was the Microsoft something network. Maybe it was just Microsoft network. And then they built out like a blogging platform which was called Spaces. So people with Messenger accounts could have their own space on the internet. And it was like a community to meet other people and share your ideas and stuff. And so you didn't actually have to host the sites yourself. You could just uh, join MSN Spaces. I think I got shut down. Before it did, <laughs> I found a way to import all my MSN Spaces posts to Blogger, which uh, then was bought by Google. And from Blogger, I exported all my posts as like an Atom feed. I think what I did is I changed the... Uh, HTML template to just emit XML and I <laughs> exported that XML, like the entire site. And then I imported that into either it was, I think it was DOS blog, which was like a .NET blogging tool. Cause uh, this guy named Scott Hanselman came to town and was talking about it. I don't know. He became super popular after that. Um, and then from DOS blog, took it to WordPress. I did my, my little round in WordPress and then from WordPress exported that and got the content into Jekyll. I've been on Jekyll ever since. It was like I went through <laughs> so many rounds, you know, like originally I was just writing journals in a text file. And then I went to like, oh, I need this in like some sort of .NET dynamic language. And then, oh, this is not good enough. I need to host this on the Microsoft server. And this is not good enough. Let's go move this to a Google server. This isn't good enough. Let's go move to PHP and MySQL to now it's I'm just back in text files again. Now, and so it's worth pointing out uh, the weather today uh, and really for the past week has been minus 40. So in practical terms, it's really freaking cold. And that leads us really nicely into talking about remote work. Uh, <laughs> minus 40 degrees Celsius. Yes, it's been cold. Who wants to go? How do we do this? How do we talk about remote work? I mean, you know, I think it, it might help to talk because uh, Mo, you, you work from home all the time. Is that uh, correct? That is correct. Yes, as of uh, July the eighth, I have been working full time remote at home, and it's it works for me in my life right now. I know it won't work for everyone, but it works for me. I think just being able to have my own space, like my own office, laid out the way I need it, uh, being able to have the flexibility to be able to be part of my the life of my family and coming and going, and also being able to work at some crazy hours like sometimes i'm coding till two in the morning and that's 
that's okay with me because I wasn't able to code for a couple hours during the day. And so it's worked really well, but it does require a different level of, I think, discipline that you get sort of for free from working in an office because mm-hmm. there's those natural boundaries where everyone's working from nine to five. So that's where you show up and you're there. Well, um, I've heard some various bits of advice for um, how best to work from home. Um, I think the most important bit of advice that helped me was to assume uh, good intent when reading text communication, because the majority of the communication that I do today isn't like synchronous, it's asynchronous. And so I'm reading uh, messages that may have been written for me like six hours ago because they're in a different time zone. And so uh, it doesn't always translate well because there's, you know, there's certain sayings that make sense here in Calgary that don't quite make sense elsewhere. And so when reading text, assume good intent and try to try to read with empathy. It also helps in some cases to over communicate. Well, I'd say most cases for me to over communicate in text dialogue, especially in the context of like a merge request. If I can provide more info than necessary, it sort of cuts down the back and forth, especially if there's time zone differences. So I can sort of preempt any possible questions that may come up. But on the downside, uh, <laughs> the downside of that, I guess, is that you can overthink things and uh, try to try to reach perfection. So, so this balance of perfection and iteration, I think, is something you have to balance. Uh, I mean, for myself, I, I work sort of a mix of sometimes I work from home because uh, grocery delivery or something. And uh, sometimes I work at the office and I find I, I'm not even sure if that's a, necessarily a good thing because what ends up happening is some conversations end up getting delayed for when you're in the office and as well, you, you don't approach uh, working from home in the same way as you approach doing it from work. So uh, some advice that uh, our good friend, Anthony Rowe brought up was always dress as if you're going into the office. Don't, you know, wear your pajamas or whatever, <laughs> make your home office someplace that you don't, want to be necessarily outside of work hours like it should be all business all the time and and I kind of suffer with that because unfortunately with my uh, my current home office setup I've got my work set up next to all my retro computing stuff and all my audio equipment so it it's a struggle not to just have in the back of my mind oh how do I how do I do this thing with the Commodore 64 disk drive um <laughs> You know, those boundaries are important, I think, and like making sure that you sort of have that separation of personal and professional in some ways, the way I've started looking at it is more like blending it, but having healthy boundaries around where you blend it. So making sure that you do get enough sleep and that you do do things outside of work and you get away from your desk is important. And I am lucky in the sense that I have people around me that sort of create these natural boundaries because they have activities and things that they need to get to. So it's time for dad to get off the computer and (laughs) help out. So I can be involved. Like, for example, today I picked up my kid from school at noon. We had lunch together. We came home and then I continued working. And, you know, at five, which is in one minute, Addie has got uh, dance, but I think that mom's taken her because I can hear them upstairs. Uh, <laughs> maybe I should be stepping away from my computer oh, now, but oh, sorry, I really want to do this. No, no, I, I asked for this. <laughs> oh, okay. um, but yeah, it is important to have those boundaries so that you're not overworking or underworking and uh, that you can also remain focused. I think that's sort of the, the premise, because when you've got 
so much personal stuff um, so near your professional stuff, it's easy to lose focus and want to sort of dabble in other things. Um, and that's true for me as well. I, I try to keep myself accountable by making sure I'm still knocking things off of the, the professional list every day. But I do take the time to learn things that are interesting to me as well, uh, personally. And that's helped me grow and, you know, start this podcast with you. Uh, and I'm not ashamed of that. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, uh, we're, uh, going to take a quick break, but, uh, yeah, we'll be right back. But we are burning daylight, and uh, we got a podcast to do. Yeah. So hello, everyone. Uh, we are back after some some weighty conversation. Um, yeah, so let, let's talk a little bit about morale. Um, so, Mo, how important do you find morale in a workplace environment? Um, it's not one of those things that I think about often. But I'd say it is important because you can, for me, I guess I try to dodge it. It's like, I'm just going to keep doing what I need to do because ultimately I'm bringing home uh, a paycheck to take care of my family. That's the bigger goal. But if if I'm not happy doing it, if the morale of the people around me is not doing it, it, it carries a weight on me that, you know, I can't always just leave that at work when I come home. And so I'd say morale is really important. Um, I found in scenarios where I was excited about the work I was doing and I was doing work with people who were also excited, the work that we did was better, even if in some cases it got canceled. But it led to learning and uh, and, and joy and it, the whole journey was more fun with it. I think we built better software when, when you can um, have those healthy but difficult conversations where you're you're where you're not going to agree. You need to disagree, but be able to vocalize that. And that that sometimes requires trust. And if you don't have good morale, that trust isn't there, then you're just, you're not getting the best out of the people that are there. So I don't know if I'm hitting the point of morale, but yeah, I think it's important. No, I, I'm So mentioning trust, I, I found that one big factor of morale often is autonomy in work. So like, I'm sure we've, both worked in uh, the kind of shops where it's just like you have to write the code exactly like this, and and you you just sort of feel like a, a basically a set of hands that writes the code. <laughs> You're not actually engaged in the work. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember uh, being really excited about getting my dream job and going there. And I think the first week I was there, I was handed this spec sheet. And it had like the database schema. I was like, you're going to implement this database schema. I was like, what? What is the problem we're solving? It's like, that's not your concern. You're going to, <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> like, this is horrible. So you don't want me to think, you want me to do. Okay. Well, and I, I think that's it. You So it's autonomy. And I think it's also a bit of a sense of ownership too, is what you're getting at. Because uh, I mean, Yes. Okay. So we, we, we gave you the database schema and everything else was fair game, but yeah, if, if you're not part of the, like, well, let's talk about what the, the problem domain is, what are we actually trying to accomplish? What is going to be the life cycle of this product? Uh, autonomy, there, there's many different layers there. And, uh, it's, it's certainly good to feel like you're empowered to make those decisions where you, you you're able to see the entire the entire pig you're about to cut up into parts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that that starts with the why. It's like, why are we doing this? Why is it important? What is the value it's going to add? 
And then with autonomy, it's like identifying the why and the problem that needs to be resolved and having the autonomy to find a solution that will fit that, not being prescribed the solution that needs to be implemented to match a problem that, you, you know, that you, you don't need to be concerned about. It's like, no, the, the, the creativity and the problem solving, that's the, that's the fun stuff. But, you know, give me the why first. Why are we doing this? Why is this important? Why is this valuable? You know, and leverage my diverse background to influence the solution because the solution you may have is not, hasn't had my influence yet. So, you know, bring me to the party. Let me play. <laughs> give me the why. What are we doing here? What are we solving? Why are we solving it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important not to become just sort of a widget maker where you actually have no real understanding how something fits into a greater product or um, or or if you're even addressing the customer's needs. And I mean, I, I guess this this kind of gets close to the agile manifesto where it's like, oh, you should be working with the customer. And I mean, working with a customer doesn't necessarily give you the why, but it certainly it gives you a far greater picture than someone handing you the specification and saying, well, make this. Right. I think that that working with the customer or collaboration, what that gives you an opportunity to do is to ask the questions to find the problem, you know, the right problem, because, you know, when you're given the specification, the assumption is that they've identified the right problem. And maybe in some cases they have, and maybe in some cases they haven't. But uh, in I think like being part of the dialogue, you're able to ask questions to help identify what may actually be a simpler solution to a problem that they actually have, not a problem that they you know don't have. And I, that's the the cool part is being able to connect. But you know, at the same time, I don't mind building widgets, David. Sometimes I just I just want to write code, you know. <laughs> like, and and I need my widget mode because it's fun, it's soothing. I can uh, you know write because so, I can't be um, I can't be problem solving the hardest problems every day. You know, you need these highs and lows, but. Uh, there's peaks and valleys in the challenges that you can handle. And, and then there's also the other factors in life when you're when you've got other things going on in life. Sometimes you just need to be a widget maker, I think. But uh, not always. You, you got to have some ability to to be uh, excited about the work you're doing. And I think that comes when you're when, for me, when when you're creating uh, value or solving a problem with the creative solution that you were a part of it doesn't necessarily have to be yours. Well put. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I mean, I know from my experience as a widget maker that that was uh uh well, so one of the things I did in the past was uh we had recognized that a big problem uh with public libraries is they're all using these printers um but those printers weren't actually in the Linux Fumatic database. And so having to go through all these uh printer specifications and uh, writing up these XML files to generate uh, PostScript printer drivers. <laughs> like, I mean, that that's a part of my life I'll be happy never to revisit again. But uh, there is definitely a need sometimes for for widget making, um, as long as, as it's on your own terms. I think that that's the key part. Yeah, and there is a way to make like the boring stuff fun too. Like once you've got a certain level of skill, I guess, like or tools available to you, there's opportunities to identify uh, places that automation could help. And that in itself, it could be the the thing that makes that problem fun uh, is, is solving. How do I make this, you know, trivial, like boring, repetitive task 
and automate it and get it out of my life. <laughs> so it's so nobody else has to deal with this pain ever again, or not never again, but at least at the same level. I think that's what keeps our work fun. It's like, it's not always going to be fun work handed to you. You're lucky if you can have challenging problems, but it's like, how can you define or derive fun from the challenges that you're given? And I forget where I was going with that thought, David, but <laughs> that's, um, that, well, that's a, <laughs> I mean, I was going to ask, so like, let, let's say for one of our listeners, they're, they're having, they're having a feeling of man works, getting me down. How do I get joy from this again? What, what sort of oh. advice would you give to, to someone who's, who's in that space where they, they're just trying to find some way to, to, to keep going? That's tough, David. Um, I can say I was in that space last year around uh, March when I was on spring break. I remember oh, no. sitting on the, yeah, I was, uh, it, we were in Hawaii. It was the first time we'd ever been to Hawaii. We went to, uh, it was Maui, my my partner and our daughters were on the on the beach playing in the ocean. I was sitting there in the sand. It's like everybody's having such a good time. It's sunny. It's beautiful. And here I am, like, why do I feel stuck, right? And I was just dreading coming home. It's like oh, we're in the yeah. middle of our trip. I was like, I'm dreading going back to work. That's an awful feeling. And I think for me, it was just like a moment to reflect and say, why do I feel like this? Why do I feel stuck? If I feel stuck, what can I do to give myself options so I can get out of feeling stuck? And in some cases, options can be worse because having too many options uh, just <laughs> can can get you bogged down with uh, having to make a decision. And making decisions is already tough enough. I don't know what to say. All I can say is like, you're not stuck. Mm-hmm. You're not stuck. There's always options somewhere. And I mean, it's also worth reading. Um, so there's a book uh, Zeth Godin wrote called The Dip which it's a pretty short book, um, but I found it pretty illuminating where, you know, in a lot of times in life where you get stuck in something and you have to make that decision of, is this a, uh, a local dip or is this like, it won't actually improve from here and anything else, you're just sort of wasting your time. And uh, I mean, that's always an important thing to be asking about your job is, if you're working in a software place and you're not happy with the software you're making and you're really just doing it for a paycheck, ask yourself, like, is that what you want to be doing for 20, 30 years? And it, it's important to ask yourself what your greater goal is. Um, and I mean, I'm not trying to be all motivational speaker here, but uh, I, I mean, it's it's common. It's a common thing that I'm asked by uh, junior developers is, you know, what wh- what do I do? Uh, and <laughs> It's having uh, some place in mind and knowing you may never get there. And also that, hey, circumstances change. Like, uh, you know, the things that you want when you're 25 may be very different when you're 35 or 45 or 55, whatever. Like life circumstances change. But yeah, I I think the important part is know you've always got options. And uh, ask if you're actually working towards what it is you want. Uh, and I think that's a, a really good way to find joy and also in some ways persevere because uh, sometimes I've, I've also been in jobs which they stunk. I did not like the job, but I knew it was going to lead to somewhere much better. Uh, and it and it did. So that's my long winded rant. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting something you said there, David, but it's like it's not just about. Uh, well, first, like this problem or that feeling isn't like exclusive to juniors. Right. 
it can happen to the best of us. I oh, recall yeah. seeing uh, Aaron Patterson uh, a couple of months ago after some issues happening at his organization were occurring. And he he wrote something that I thought was really strange. It was like he, he gave the impression that he was stuck. You know, Aaron Patterson, Ruby core yeah. committer, Rails core committer, like, what? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was along the lines of, like, career path and progression and not being able to find a, what's, like, a path. I was like, oh, wow, if Aaron Patterson can feel that, you know, then this is something that can happen to anyone at any point in their career where they're, they're not sure what's next. Absolutely. And I think I, part of that was, like, not knowing what you want, too. Uh, and you said that as well, where are you on the track to do what you want? Well, you can't be on track if you don't know what that is. What do well, you want? And uh, rather to your point, um, so juniors will ask, seniors don't, because also right. it's right. I'm a senior. I'm not supposed to be asking existential <laughs> questions about my career because I've made it. Just right. because you've made it, you still can leave. Like you, I have no you idea can... what I'm doing, David. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I think it's always valuable to be regularly having that sort of self check in with yourself of like, am I am I doing what I want to be doing? Because, I mean, without going into too many details, uh, I you know I've found myself at many points in the past you know uh, several years where it's like, oh God, is this a is this a local dip or is this a, a major dip? I like the way you frame it though, right? in terms of recognizing that is this is is this permanent or temporary mm -hmm. is this is this something that's going to be an issue a week from now two weeks from now a month from now or uh, is it something that I, it's an obstacle that you know i have an opportunity to move past and, and grow from it mm -hmm. perseverance is great up to a point but like you have to ask if this is well put perseverance and um right. I, that is applicable whether you're a junior or a senior so uh, all you senior developers who feel like Oh gosh, uh, um, am I the only one having these problems? No, everyone has them. It's fine. <laughs> There's a, a strength training analogy I like to use, because um, which I think is sort of applicable to this discussion. And I'm sure you've heard it before, David. And I'm I'm sorry if if you have, but I'm gonna repeat it. But like, <laughs> it, in order to like uh, grow in terms of strength, you know, physical strength, you have to apply small amounts of stress to your body to uh, allow it to adapt and grow and get stronger. Um, and so these micro stresses over the long run do make you stronger. But if you apply too much stress, you know, meaning like you're trying to move, push or pull a load that's too far out of your reach, you could actually cause injury, right? And this also goes to mental health, your work, right? So a little bit of stress can help you grow uh, too much for too long without addressing fatigue and other things uh, will actually cause injury. And, and in some cases, like mental health injuries are really hard to, to come back from. So be mindful of that. Uh, like, is this a problem? Is this a challenge that I want to, to work through? Is it yeah. worth it for me? You're totally right on the strength analogy. To get really good at Vim, yeah, there's going to be a period where your fingers just aren't going to be in the right place. If you want to get really good at machine learning, there's going to be points where you're just you can't figure out heads from tails. There's going to be there's going to be so many things you experience in your career, and I, in fact, if you're not experiencing you know occasional stresses, you should actually be worried that you're in a job where you're just languishing. Like you always want to be able to push yourself a little bit, but it's very important that you don't um, that you don't put yourself in a situation where 
you end up making a hasty decision because you were just pushed too far. Right. And that's, Keeping, being aware of where you're at, it, it, like with your own fatigue, your own mental health, your abilities, you know, the, the cost that's placed on you versus how much, you know, the rest of your family might be picking up because of that. Those are all things that I think are important to keep track of. And it's too easy to, you know, even as you were mentioning as a senior to say, no, I, I, I made it. I should be able to handle this. You know, I should, I should, I should. Don't shit on yourself. You know, like you're human. You're not going to you're not going to perform at, you know, peak performance every single day of the year. There's uh, highs and lows. Yep. Everyone has off days. Uh, yeah. We're going to take a quick break. Okay, everyone, we are back. So um, to go bit, a bit back on remote work. So Mo, we, we were talking about the, sort of the benefits and the, the trials of working uh, remotely. But, you know, one thing that's often not talked about is, you know, working remote does have pitfalls. Uh, you want to go into those? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm just trying to think because it's pretty recent, but I remember my first day of work at this job, like, I went downstairs to my basement and I sat at my desk, you know, or the first day at an office is you would walk in and, you know, you'd meet somebody and they typically introduce you around the office and you'd meet people and you get a bunch of paperwork to fill out and nobody expects you to do anything. Well, here I am. I'm like, oh, I have to prove that I'm working, but there's nobody here to see me. <laughs> How do I do this? And there's no one, like, I, I don't have anyone to meet. Um, okay. Well, first I have to figure out how to get into my email and for the most part, like the organization I joined had everything automated, which made it really easy. It was almost like a choose your adventure game because they give you all the like a, an onboarding issue with a bunch of checkboxes. And then you figure out like uh, what path you want to go. But it was extremely it was just I can't I'm not sure I can describe it, but it was so weird, you know, going from like the Friday before I was at the office with everyone, you know, and seeing people physically then the following Monday I'm in my basement and there's nobody there. It's like, I'm alone. I'm, oh, wow. What am I doing? <laughs> like, do I actually have a job? Are they going to send me money? <laughs> like, what's going on? This is so weird. And it's so lonely. Uh, it's so lonely at first. Um, so uh, I found there's a couple ways. I, I Initially, the loneliness was pretty hard. But now I, I think I'm a little bit more used to it and I'm a little more comfortable with it. And actually, for my personality and, and who I am, I tend to like being alone to think and, and, and work through problems because it gives me the time and space that I need, especially since I have all the equipment I need. So I love to draw and I've got my whiteboard right behind me. Um, but the way I, I dealt with uh, the initial loneliness was twofold. One, I like, started leaning a lot more on my actual friends, like the people mm -hmm. that I know whom, you know, I had very, I had sort of, I hadn't seen as much because I had, I was a busy person. I had a life. I was going to work all the time, but now I'm like leaning on my uh, my own like other relationships more. And two, I uh, got a dog. <laughs> like, and now she's been my office pal uh, ever since. But that loneliness is real. And uh, there's other ways to deal with that. Like uh, you can rent space in a co-working space. So you still have the opportunity to go to a office or a desk and and interact with other people. But it's tough. That just getting through that, you know, initial hump of like, I'm in an office surrounded by people to now all of a sudden I'm in my basement. Uh, but now I, I, I wouldn't uh, want to, I don't think I could go back uh, <laughs> at this point. <laughs> what else sucked? Well, communication, you know, those organic 
conversations that you would hear in the hallway as you're walking past people. In some cases, I'd hear something or a tool or a name of something, and when I go back to my desk, I'd look it up and try to get more information on it. It's so like those little pieces or those nuggets through my day that would just keep me informed and up to date. Uh, I now have to be more active or proactive to go find. So this year I've been on Twitter more. I've had the Twitter account for a few years, but it, I hadn't even logged in. And then this year I found myself wanting to be on Twitter just so I could stay more tapped into like what other you know developers and people are doing and saying and thinking. Um, it's not the same type of conversation you would hear because Twitter seems to be more of like, the sarcastic <laughs> voices that you hear in your head that people just spew out. But every once in a while, there are like little nuggets of information. So I miss those impromptu like whiteboard sessions when somebody would uh, would have a problem that's interesting and you'd walk by and you could chat with them with, well, I can't complain about the commute. But uh, what's interesting is I sort of do miss riding transit because uh, it gave me an opportunity to listen to podcasts, which also kept me informed but also be connected to the local community and city. And just, you know, I felt more in, in tune with what was happening downtown and with the people when I was actually getting up every day and walking to the train station and catching a train, whereas that's very rare for me now. So mm -hmm. those, those sorts of things I think you have to be more proactive about if you want to stay connected. Otherwise it's very easy to uh, become disconnected. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, for our listeners, uh, this podcast sort of came out of uh, Mo and I were uh, kind of sad that our, our uh, impromptu coffee chats that would happen at the office were were coming to an end. Um, and so I, I totally understand that. And it's it's one of the reasons I, I still split uh, working from home uh, between working from the office, even though I know I'm more productive working at home. Yeah, for me, that's social interaction. You know, as much as, uh, you know, like open plan can just drive me nuts. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> me too, yeah. Uh, there, there is definitely something to um, being able to have those face-to-face -face conversations. And and you certainly can have face-to-face -face conversations working remote, but it, it, it does take on a, a different form. And yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that. <laughs> I, I Yeah, it's like, it's not as the entry like, so the barrier to actually making it organic on the internet is a little bit higher, but it's possible, right? Mm -hmm. So if I happen to be walking from my desk to go refill my water bottle, I just might bump into David, who might just tell me about the coolest tool or thing he's looking at working on. Be like, hey, Bo, come check this out. So it doesn't happen as organically, but it is possible to, like, schedule, uh, you know, one-on-one -on -one coffee chats with people and make it easy for them to do that. So one of the coolest tools that we use is Calendly. So if I want, you know, someone to schedule something with me, I can send them my Calendly link and they can see when my calendar's open and they can just book it right there with the link to uh, video chat. So it, it makes it easier to connect. And I think that's important to make it easy to connect. And if it's just like one URL away and all of a sudden you could potentially have a, a connection with someone, it's important. It's never going to be the same as, well, I shouldn't say never, um, but it, it won't be quite the same. But in some ways, as like being in the in the office and just casually walking by. But in some ways, I also like that because it, it provides a physical barrier for people to just not be able to just show up at your desk every time they have a question. And and, and so it protects me as well, um, okay. as well as isolates me. Yeah. Well, and I mean, there's certainly ways that you can 
be social in a remote context. So like in the uh, social chat programs like Slack or uh, WebEx Teams or uh, or Mattermost. Yeah, Mattermost, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you, you can have those channels where it's like, oh, people are sharing music links or, hey, here's a cool... Uh, project I did over the weekend where I smoked a turkey or something um, <laughs> that I mean I, I'm sure some would disagree with me but I, I think it is important to show a, a little bit of uh, of yourself uh, you, you can't be all business all the time um, because it is a finding a way to con connect better with your peers I've had some jobs where it's like okay it's strictly professional and you don't talk with anyone and, you know, it, it's certainly a thing you can do, but it's not very pleasant. You don't feel like you're really bringing yourself to work. Um, you're just collecting a paycheck at that point. So. Yeah. If you have to wear a mask to work, it's it has it weighs on you after a while. Um, being able to connect with people and know that you have a connection with your peers and some peers you won't, but some peers you will just know that there is a connection provides a level of comfort and joy that, you know, makes you a better citizen at the workplace. And so speaking of joy, because I know we've, we've been talking about, uh, you know, happiness in the workplace. Mo, we need to talk about something. I think uh -oh. we need to talk about what are we window talking about? managers. Oh, yes. We need we to do. talk about window managers, Mo. <laughs> you scared me. <laughs> Where are we going? What is he going to surprise me with here? Yeah, so, David, <laughs> I didn't know what a window manager was until like a month ago. I remember because I was playing with terminal emulators. And then during that discussion, you talked about tiling window managers. And I can't remember the one that you liked. I think it was called, was it called Rat Poison? Was that the one that you, you liked? Uh, yeah, so there was Rat Poison. And there was another one I used after that because I was uh, on some weird ideological BSD kick at the time. I, I you know, we're all young at some point. Um <laughs> But um, no, rat poison is perfectly fine, people. The, and by that, I mean the window manager. The window manager rat poison <laughs> is perfectly fine. Um, it's great to use. Uh, Thank and... you for clarifying that. I think the audience oh. needed that clarification, just to be safe. It's important, yes. Yes, so uh, ever since that discussion, I was like, what's a window manager? How do I change my window manager? What's a tiling window manager? And so I've had a chance to play with I guess three now because I had the default window manager that ships with GNOME um, on Fedora 31 because that's the only window manager I knew. And then I gave two other window managers a try. So uh, the first one I tried was Sway. So Sway is a window manager that was um, equivalent. What they did is like they took the i3 configuration and made it work in Sway, but its target um, it targets Wayland. So no more, it still has like X Wayland, so you can run your X apps in it, but it's really trying to take advantage of, of Wayland. And it's a, a full rewrite of, it's not a rewrite, I guess, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a, it's a port for people who, are, who have been using i3 and want to run in, in Wayland. So I ran that for a while. Um, and the first thing I had to learn was just like what tiling meant. And to be honest, it wasn't that foreign to me because I had been using Tmux for years. I was like, oh, yes, now I can t I can rearrange my windows just like the way I would rearrange my panes in my terminal. Uh, and so it clicked with me immediately. Oh, my goodness. Uh, like, it was the best experience. The default key bindings that shipped with Sway's default configuration 
were also uh, Vim friendly. So just being able to move from one left or right, the key bindings for my meta key, I use the the start or the windows, uh, I shouldn't call it the windows key, the start key <laughs> as my <laughs> meta key, but then also just like the uh, Vim uh, navigation for going left, right, up, down. So that felt really familiar to me. So now I've got the Vim key bindings in my tiling window manager in Tmux and in Vim. So I just have to be careful that the, the leader keys or the meta keys don't uh, trip over each other for each. And so far they haven't, but it's felt really natural being able to rearrange my windows. Also, I've been leveraging the workspaces a lot more and being um, aware of where I'm putting my windows as opposed to just having one that's full screen terminal and the other one's like full screen browser. Uh, which was typically the way I worked. And just, it, it became, I noticed like uh, it being a bit of a jarring experience when I went to go work from a coffee shop to do um, to work on some work. And all of a sudden I'm on my MacBook again and I'm going, uh, I guess on the MacBook, it's alt tab is option tab. And I'm like, oh, this is so weird. I just, uh, like my eyes were naturally going to the window where I wanted my fingers to go as opposed to going through alt tab. So I missed it immediately. And I took the time uh, to actually map out which programs I want on which one of my monitors and where. And I was like, just being able to have that experience of like where I can decide where I want my, uh, my, my coding terminal, where I want to put my chat client, where I want to put my email client, where I want to put my music client, and just have it laid out exactly how I want it was quite nice. Um, it did lead to, I think, a bit of a slippery slope for me, though, David, because... I think once you go down this road of like choosing your tiling manager, all of a sudden you care about things you didn't care as much about, like which bar application do you use? <laughs> you know, like like how many bars do you have? What icons do you do you want to render? What fonts do you want to use for rendering the? So now I'm like looking at all these different options for, you know, what do I want to put on my bar? So at the moment I've got here's the amount uh, the available hard disk space I have left. Uh, my consumed RAM versus available, <laughs> my Ethernet card interface name, the percentage, like all these things. Like wow, now I can I can configure this, so I have to, um, and and so it's taken a lot of time. So I played with Polybar, uh, i3 Status Bar, all these different bar programs. I'm still going through that, so I won't talk about that. Uh, the other uh, window manager that I tried was i3, which is based on X Window, and for me, it, everything worked. Everything I needed from being able to do screen sharing, which was something I had trouble with on uh, on Sway. So if I needed to actually pair up with somebody, I had issues if I was on the Sway window manager. For So for the time being, I'm using Sway for my personal time and i3 for my work time, but i3, everything seems to work. The key bindings, I actually ported. I didn't like the default key bindings in i3, uh, so I ported over the Sway config uh, key bindings over to i3. But today, I'm on i3. Yeah, yay me. And now I have to figure out which desktop environment I want, David. <laughs> I'm on GNOME, but do I want GNOME? Do I want something simpler? So there's always, uh, I for the longest time, I was hardened XFCE uh, user because I've always kind of just wanted something as simple as possible, partly because it runs on like any hardware. So you can take a laptop that runs windows you know 98 and you still run xfce on it and it'll look great um, <laughs> um and that's and that's what i've been reading so i've been reading like the top three contenders seems to be kde plasma which is the new hotness 
mm -hmm. uh, GNOME, uh, GNOME 3, and XFCE is like a minimal display manager that just runs everywhere. And you know what? That the minimal part really appeals to me because I don't really need that much. In fact, my desktop background is just a solid color. My like the the information I need on on my bar is minimal. I don't really need the uh, much more than that. The, the polished icons is nice, but not necessary. Oh, and your launcher program. You have to choose a good launcher program, David. <laughs> Starts with D menu, and then from there it just goes. Oh my gosh, I can't remember what I'm on. I'm on Rofi now, R O F I, but I've been oh. looking at at U Launcher as as my next <laughs> program launcher. So many options, so many decisions. Oh yeah, but it. it I mean, it's nice to have that freedom. Uh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the study uh, that was done uh, years ago where they measured the productivity and happiness levels of people who had used Microsoft Word and people had used uh, LaTeX, the uh, mathematical typesetting one. And even though uh, the Microsoft Word folks were more productive, sort of, because uh, they do say like, you know, there's different levels of productivity, but uh, they produced more papers the people who used LaTeX were actually much happier with the results. And no kidding. And I mean, I've having written a few books now with various systems, like uh, my, my current, the, the current one I've got, uh, because I've been through so many different ways of this is going to be the one where I've actually finished this project, uh, is that I write everything in Markdown, which then gets fed into Pandoc. Pandoc converts that into LaTeX. And then uh, from there, it can get converted to an ebook or to a PDF that can be uploaded to Amazon. So that way. That's your processing. Okay. So you go Markdown uh, and then from Pandoc to LaTeX and then from LaTeX to whatever. So if you want to export to PDF, HTML, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. it's all well, there. Oh, okay. And, and well, and Pandoc actually does the, the LaTeX sort of stuff in the background. So it, it, it certainly helps if you already understand LaTeX. Like, then you know what Pandoc is doing for you and you know how to do things like, oh, well, this I kind of want to make look like a nice quote. So how do I do that with yes. Markdown? Yes. And, and so you can actually, uh, within your Markdown files, put uh, LaTeX directives that show up in your, your finished document, which is, you know, it looks sharp. Of course, uh, as uh, one of my uh, coworkers said, uh, the nice thing about LaTeX is you can always tell that someone's using LaTeX. <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it the font? <laughs> it, it's, it's the font. It's like, it's, yeah. <laughs> you see that little LaTeX logo where it's like, because you got to fit that in somewhere. <laughs> Shout out to LaTeX. This is interesting, uh, David, because yeah. I have this problem right now working through. So I've been, uh, you know, slowly working through my undergrad I'm, and I have an assignment due today. Oh, wow. And I've been writing my assignment in Markdown because I refuse to use a word processor. And now I, I think I've spent more time this week just converting Markdown to a PDF in a format that I'm proud of. And I just haven't quite got it yet. So maybe, and what I've been using is Pandoc, but I've been going from uh, Pandoc Markdown straight to PDF. And the way you do that is like you specify the Markdown input syntax. There's common mark, there's GFM, there's like, I think two, there's like the LaTeX markdown and a few other ones, and then straight to PDF. I'm not sure exactly how that conversion happens, but it's not quite right for me. I don't know what, what I'm missing. Maybe it's the LaTeX step. Yeah. Well, so as far as I know, Pandoc uses PDF 
PDF LaTeX to generate the um, document, but you know, I could be wrong on that. But again, that's it, it, as it goes with anything like abstractions are great until they break. And you have to remember Pandoc is an abstraction between I need to convert this one thing to this other thing. And Pandoc's doing it for you, but you, oh. you need to know what it's doing under the hood. Uh, I that, wish that's I had... how you fix things. I wish I had found Pandoc months ago. I was using like an NPM package for my last few courses where I would convert the Markdown file to PDF using this NPM package that was using Chrome driver and the equivalent of like a copy bar or something like that to actually invoke the print function in Chrome to export the PDF. And it looked nice, but it, it was hard for me to produce. So the other thing I did is like I was submitting... Um, couple of the assignments I submitted with the link to the Docker image that I had built and published publicly so that the instructor could actually just run the Docker image. With the... <laughs> I'm crazy. Um, but I, I needed to be able to generate the PDF from uh, my CI build. And that was difficult to do in some cases. And now with Pandoc, which I just discovered recently, it's like, why didn't I just use this? It, it, so I still have to figure out how to get it to look Less like LaTeX, I guess. <laughs> uh, I <don't laughs> or just know. embrace I, it. Maybe I just embrace it. I don't know. I, I, I've yet to uh, find someone who's in computer science who hasn't enjoyed that. Like, ah, yes, this looks like LaTeX. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you, you might get bonus points. Who knows? I will embrace it. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's uh, all the time we've got uh, for this episode. So... Uh, yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. Apologies for uh, any audio quality. Um, any shout outs, Mo, uh, or other items? I don't know. Uh, this broadcast was brought to you from Skype, David. We did this mm -hmm. over Skype. I'm yeah. so surprised to say this, but yes, this was actually, besides the initial hiccup, it worked well. Yeah, I. well, I mean, let, let's, uh, let, let's uh, talk about this a bit, Mo. So we both... Uh, discovered we we had these ancient Skype accounts, and uh, it turns out Skype's gotten really good. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to change my handle though. Like this is the handle I chose for like I was like twenty years old. I was like, oh no, David's gonna laugh if he sees this. How do I change this? Oh, uh, you got to keep it. it. It's so good. <laughs> okay, then it's and, and we'll let the listeners guess. Uh, so uh, <laughs> send send in your suggestions on what it could be on Twitter. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you very much, everyone, and uh, we'll talk with you later.